0: Welcome to Science Talk, the more or less weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on March 2nd, 2011. I've been informed that on the last couple of episodes, I said 2010. I'm still writing 1943 on my checks. I'm Steve Mursky. So, uh, on the last episode, when it was ending, I said I'd be back in a few hours. That was many days ago. So, before we get to the science, well, there's some science involved here, so... I thought you might be interested to know why there's been such a delay between the last episode and this one, which is basically the second part of that episode. Well, I was all set to roll this one out last Friday when I woke up in the morning to raw sewage backing up into the house. That's a situation that must be dealt with immediately. So we did a little investigation, and we found that the entire pipe leading out to the main city sewer line had to be replaced, which is been what's going on for the last few days. But that was just the beginning of a fascinating day. A little later in the day, my neighbor rang me up to tell me that there was soot appearing mysteriously on his front porch, and I was certainly to blame for it somehow. We looked at the front of our adjoining houses and realized that the soot, no surprise, was emanating from our shared chimney. Then I confronted him with scientific fact, because I pointed out to him that while he had oil heat, I had gas heat. And whatever soot was emerging from the chimney was surely the result of inefficient burning of his oil, while my cleaner burning gas could not possibly be to blame. Later in the day, we did have the incident where a live mouse was running around, brought into the house by one of my cats before the cat did him in. We have two cats. Don't worry, there aren't 43 running around the house. And finally, in the evening, to get away from it all, I drove away to try to get a quiet meal at a little restaurant I know, and before I could say what was that, uh, it became very apparent that what we had hid in the car was a skunk because the smell just started to permeate the entire vehicle. So we started the day with raw sewage, and we ended it with the mercaptans that you can find in any good skunk musk. So that will explain in a nutshell why you haven't heard from me in a few days. I have not had to bathe in tomato juice, but uh, it's been close. So anyway, when last we met, we were talking about the AAAS meeting, the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, that had wrapped up on Monday, February 21st, in Washington, D.C. Uh, one additional short conversation that I had with another journalist was with Charles Choi, who's a frequent contributor to Scientific American magazine and to our website. So let me now share with you the conversation that I had with Charles.
1: The thing that Really drew my attention was work from uh, roboticist Hod Lipson over at uh, Cornell University. The title of his talk was Self-Reflecting Machines and talking about instilling self-awareness in, in robots and how could you not want to learn more about that.
0: So a self-reflecting machine, we're not talking about in front of a mirror, we're talking about a machine that's somehow aware of
1: its own Existence and activities, exactly, and and he you know he breaks it down into a, a number of different levels. Uh, I mean, in 2006, uh, he and his colleagues had a research that appeared in the journal Science, and that basically uh, started off with a robot that could reflect upon its own body. It created a, a model of its own body, a self image, and from there could figure out what it was doing and how to move itself. And if a limb got removed, it could rejigger its self-image and uh, keep going. When when I saw self-aware machines, I mean, I thought about Skynet from Terminator, of course, just like everybody else. Uh, But you know, there are very solid practical reasons for wanting to do this. Basically, you know. Robots are great. You know, I mean, they're superhuman. Uh, you know, at, at speed, at power, uh, at working twenty-four-seven repetitively without getting bored. But if, if if one little thing's out of place, and they just you know mess up really easily. Uh, so you want uh, robots to be able to adapt to their own situations, and having that self-image, uh, I mean, reflecting o- upon their own actions is key. You know, they can look at themselves and say, "All right, what's working." what's not working and how can i change myself in order to make this work to achieve my goals again
0: but are they i mean they're they're clearly not conscious
1: no 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 this right? is yeah yeah
0: so they can you really call it self reflecting or is it just i mean i guess it counts but really they they've been in the programming you've given it an additional batch
1: of programming to do this well see see and, and see that 's just the first step, the second step uh which uh, they detailed even further here, and which hasn't been published yet. I mean, they essentially put two brains in one robot, you know you had one robot pursuing its goals, uh, chasing one color of dot and avoiding this other color of dot, you know you had these lights you know, projecting dots on the ground. One of the brains was doing this. One of the brains was doing this and the other brain was modeling what the first brain was doing. Mm. And let's say, uh, you know, halfway through, the researchers changed the rules of the game and, you know, the robot got points essentially for chasing, you know, the other color and avoiding, you know, uh, the color they originally wanted to chase. Well, you know, then this reflective brain could say, hey – All right, something's different now, and actually, fool it had a way of fooling the first brain. It it basically messed around uh, with the data. It filtered it so that it made red look blue, or blue and look blue look red. The second brain did that. Yeah, the second brain. To to what purpose? Uh, to, to make it accommodate the changed rules. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. And, and and yeah, I mean, this is a bit of programming and this is a very simple system, obviously, right. right? But if you scale it up like, you know, 10 trillion times, you know, I mean, maybe this is the very – this is the atom of consciousness, you know, the atom uh, of, of self-awareness upon which, you know, what we call metacognition, you know, thinking about thinking is based uh, and, and even what – uh What we call theory of mind, thinking about what others are thinking mm-hmm. uh they they did similar experiments to that, exploring theory of mind as well. uh They had one robot, the observer let's call it uh, observe another robot, the actor uh and you know the actor's goal was to uh move toward a light right but the uh actor did so in a very kind of erratic, spiraling roundabout way. So you had the first observer you know observe the actor you know a couple you know you know dozen times or something and it essentially it it essentially projected created a model of how this robot was going to act and it did so well enough to be able to lay a trap quote unquote uh you know for uh, that the uh that the actor robot could run run over You know, I mean, and so this is all about exploring the very basics of giving robots a form of self-awareness. And and it could raise a very interesting question of whether or not this is how self-awareness works in us.
0: Or especially in... Small organisms like, a, you know, a flatworm.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's there's a continuum of self-awareness. I mean, it, it's not just, you know, it's not binary, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, and it had to develop somehow. So, you know, using these artificial systems, you know, one could experiment. One could say, all right, how well uh, how is our model of self-awareness right or wrong? And can we develop, you know, by developing robots that mimic... What we think we can we can experiment we can test we can falsify you know hypotheses I mean that's science and if consciousness is an emergent property
0: if you keep piling on this ability maybe eventually you'll you'll have a conscious robot without you having done anything
1: specific to develop consciousness exactly the researchers are I stress that very much they don't they are not programming in consciousness. You know, they're not programming these robots at all. They're letting, uh, well, through these kind of evolutionary algorithms, they're letting a, a form of self-awareness develop on its own. And it's it's kind of a black box to them, especially the more complicated the system gets. It, it will become a black box. And that keeps it a little mysterious. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I mean, obviously, we, we'd love to be able to uh, look into it and, and figure out how it works, but But maybe it's not possible. Maybe consciousness uh, will forever be kind of a black box. You
0: can read Charles Choi's article, Automaton Know Thyself, Robots Become Self-Aware, on our website. It's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, new Oscar winner Natalie Portman was the co-author of a paper published in a scientific journal. Story two, 2010 was the safest year in the history of commercial aviation. Story three, people who idealize their mate actually have the happiest marriages, For the first few years, anyway. And Story 4, a computer analysis of tennis players, has ranked Bjorn Borg as the best male tennis player in the Open Era, starting in 1968. While you think about those stories, let me urge you, try the Scientific American smartphone app. What are you waiting for? Featuring material from the magazine, you get many of the departments, including David Pogue's technology column, Christine Gorman's look at the science of medicine, Michael Shermer's skeptic page, and my anti-gravity page to keep the magazine, and now your smartphone, you know... Buoyant. As for Totally Bogus, your time is up. Story one is true. When she was a student at Syosset High School on Long Island, Oscar winner Natalie Portman co-authored a paper under her original name, Natalie Hirschlag, that was published in the Journal of Chemical Education. The paper was titled, A Simple Method to Demonstrate the Enzymatic Production of Hydrogen from Sugar. Story two is true. 2010 was an incredibly safe year for commercial aviation. Major airlines did not suffer a single fatality, and the accident rate, which refers to irreparable damage to the aircraft, was one per 1.6 million flights. That's according to a report released by the International Air Transport Association. And story three is true. You'd think that people who idealize their mate would become disappointed when that person reveals themselves to be all too human but a study in the journal Psychological Science finds that such people have the happiest marriages for the first three years, anyway. That was the extent of the study. Maybe the real human within hasn't been revealed after only three years. For more, check out the March 2nd episode of the Daily Siam podcast, 60 Second Science. All of which means that story four about Bjorn Borg being ranked the best male tennis player in the open era is totally bogus. Because the honor has gone to Jimmy Connors. That's according to research published in the journal Public Library of Science One. The usual calculation involves weeks ranked at number one in the world, Grand Slam titles, and other factors. But the new measurement looked at all Grand Slam and ATP matches an individual ever played and weighed the quality of the opposition. Using those criteria, Connors comes out on top. Well, that's it for this episode. Get your science news at scientificamerican.com where you can find the in-depth report New Challenges for Evolution Education. Five years after the Dover trial pushed intelligent design out of public school classrooms, how has evolution instruction fared? Find out by looking at that IDR, that in-depth report. We have an article by Lori Lebo, who was one of the veteran reporters at the actual Dover trial, as well as an interview with Jennifer Miller, one of the teachers from Dover High School. And follow us on Twitter. You'll get a tweet about each new article posted to our website. Our Twitter handle is at Cyan. For Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.